thank you for listening to Share the Load. I'm gonna do some of my um, quote-unquote ads at the top today, and I ask that you please not fast forward. We really do need your help to sustain this work. Even if some of these aren't fitting for you, I hope that you'll help spread the word. July 24th and 25th, Aphomia and I are offering a two-part class on authenticity and, and social media for anyone who is trying to build a business and a brand um, and feel resourced and authentic on social media and not burn out. Quan and Rebecca and I are offering an Embodied Boundaries retreat. They were on the episode before this one. Uh, That is July 28th and 29th in the Los Angeles area. In July, I'm also offering what was the men's program last year and now is uh, Boundaries and Consent and Masculinity. Ari Simon is going to be joining me to do a session on grief and a session on masculinity. The Boundaries in Your Business two-part class is now recorded and available on Thinkific, as well as the six-part basics foundational class, my practicing no class, nonverbals, and some pronoun practice, one class for family and friends, and one class for practitioners. If you're looking for a little bit of luxurious self-care, the link to Foria, uh, a CBD wellness brand, is in the show notes. And if you use that link, um, the podcast and consent wizardry, get 10% of whatever you purchase. And you can use the code MIAS20 for 20% off. That's a really wonderful way to help um, support what we do and get yourself a little something nice. Um, passive income is really crucial for this work because I do a lot of work for free, such as this podcast and the Instagram. Um, so I really count on some of that passive income, the recorded classes on Thinkific, which are also linked in the show notes, um, and classes to support this show and the, the surrounding work. Beyond that, free ways to help support are to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You just heard Tennessee shaking her collar. Um, Rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us um, with search engine optimization within podcast apps. Um, And again, that's just a way to help spread the word. Uh, I really do want this to reach as far as it possibly can, and I hope that you do as well. The last thing that I will say is that I offer workshops um, on my own. I offer workshops uh, that are tailored to particular groups. So if you work in an office um, where you think that this kind of work would be really beneficial, um, let them know. Send my website, consentwizardry.com, to your HR department. We are offering um, professional wellness consulting uh, with various people who've been on the show. Um, Minachi, Layla, Dr. John, um, uh, several other people who do amazing work. Um, We put together a team that fits the needs of your group. Um, I can also be hired separately to speak or to run a workshop or to consult. Um, you can either email me, mia at sharetheloadinc.com, or you can book me through sean at collectivespeakers.com. That's S-E-A-N. 
And please consider subscribing to the newsletter so you can stay up to date with what's going on. Um, that's consentwizardry.com newsletter. Um, and another free way to help support is to forward that email to people who you think would benefit from the content that's inside. Um, really, whatever you can do to help spread the word is greatly appreciated. And if you have questions that you want answered on the podcast, Email them in written or voice note form to podcast at sharetheloadinc.com. Welcome back to Share the Load. I'm Mia Schachter. I use they, them pronouns. And uh, I'm a consent educator and intimacy coordinator and a writer and artist. Uh, and today I'm talking to my friend um, and collaborator, Ari Simon, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Ari Simon, they, them, theirs. I am a grief care worker, facilitator, coach, writer, artist, human person working in um, a lot of realms around grief and loss and resilience um, in very both sort of um, kind of workplace based ways as well as identity based ways. So I have a program called Grief at Work where I deliver staff trainings and consulting to create grief and loss competent workplaces and have a handful of other programs like uh, my Queering Death Cohorts and you've got Male Grief and other kinds of offerings around um, really supporting and nurturing folks um, to just find more ease and resourcefulness and, uh, and transformation when it comes to uh, how we deal with loss and how we move forward in our lives with more care and transformation. Beautiful. Um, I would love to, like, you know, we just did this IG live and there were like a couple things that jumped out at me that I want to go deeper into now that we're in this mm -hmm. space. Um, yeah. Well, one thing is I just, I'm wondering, like, kind of as, as your friend, I guess, like in the narrative of your life, when you zoom out, why grief? Like, do you have a sense of like how you got there? Yeah. I feel like there's a couple of ways um, and I had a couple of kind of key encounters that I think opened it up for me. Um, you know, I think grief and even like death is something I've always been really, really interested in, but never thought I could just sort of overtly express, um, you know, like I used to do little like imaginary grief rituals when I was like four and five years old. Whoa. I remember like the last time I ever hung out with my imaginary friend Birdie, I must have been three or four. And I like knew that like it was the end for Birdie. And I like did like a ceremony to like kind of send Birdie. I was again, I'm like three or four years old, you know, and I'm like, I'm to send this imaginary friend on their way. Um, and so like, I always had these kind of like weird, funny things like that. And, um, and then I had a couple of, of really particular deaths in my life. Um, one really in particular of my best friend and roommate in college, um, when we were living together, um, was, um, killed in a car accident in a, in a, a vehicle fatality and, um, kind of hate the word car accident. Um, but it's easy to say we were so used to it. Um, 
it's like no accident. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I have a sibling who has, um, tried to end their life a handful of times, um, and definitely Mm. deals with suicidality, um, on and off. And, um, but it was really, I, um, I, my cousin Tess, who was riding her bike to San Francisco in March, 2019, um, was killed on her way to work. Um, and really showing up, um, for her memorialization and just seeing her like super queer, intentional, like co-op living Bay area community go through the rituals of, of processing her loss and uh, processing her death and, and memorializing her just was like, finally the real big breaking open moment for me of like, Oh, right. Like, we could be doing death and grieving so differently and so much more beautifully and so much more like in alignment with what our, like who we actually were and our identities and our lives. And like, why are we letting these just giant systems, these oppressive systems, these like, you know, like major religions and all these kind of dominant forces dictate how we grieve and how we memorialize and how we ritualize. So um, I was like, I got to do something around this. Um, I've been, and it, and when I would start telling friends, they've been like, yeah, you've been talking about this forever. And I was like, I have, mm. um, I didn't even realize, you know? Um, and, you know, I, and so I, I started thinking about how do I sort of like gather people to really talk about like grief and loss and really with at the intersection of, of queerness, um, both in queer identities and in queer theory. Um, and then I had this experience, um, shout out to this amazing um, movement performance artist worker, Liv Schaefer up in the Bay, who led this workshop called Mortality in Motion, where mm-hmm. um, that was like this intergenerational, mostly for older folks, dance and movement class around death and loss. And through it, I just had this like wild aha moment of for me, I was like, oh my God, death is so Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) And it made me realize that actually like my Jewish identity and like my, my uh, practice of, of Judaism and the way I practice it is like, so the thing that grounds me most to it is, is death and how we deal with death and Shiva, like, which is the, the, the sitting of um, that you do and like the space and time you take and the rituals around it after a loved one passes um, but of course also just like both in kind of the oy vey of it all, that there's always this kind of like loss in the air, of course, also just the, the true epigenetic trauma that I think that I know we carry, um, the amounts of death that like Jewish people have faced for centuries and centuries and centuries. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it all just kind of, it was like, you know, I'm, I don't know if anyone listening out there is, you know, I've had their own similar experience with this, but it was like, once I started pulling on enough threads, the whole thing unraveled. And I realized it was this big giant thing that's been here the whole time. Um, and when I looked back at my, my sort of previous career was working in LA city hall. And I would look at like why that was such a toxic environment to work in. Oh yeah. And so much of it is because like 
not only were we like complicit in perpetuating loss all the time, um, but then when loss was occurring or we were really doing our best to show up in communities and show up with like policy resources or laws to like help, you know, uh, support causes of like, you know, what communities needed or what stakeholders needed or what residents needed. Like we were never pausing to just hold space for the loss major losses that were here. If people were coming to city hall with needs, whether it's like on the most basic level for like folks who need housing to even just like fixing the sidewalk repair or trying to get a permit, like there's some kind of, there's some kind of loss that's occurring or something that's going wrong that they need help with. And I just feel like it was like, wow, we like, or even when we would mess up or have like workplace failures, like we never pause to just address like, mm. hey, let's talk about the, the the loss that just happened. Let's talk about like the, the grief around like, yeah, you really fucked that project up or like, wow, this really <laughs> didn't go well or, you know, wow, you know. And so, yeah, I think like a big part of my moving into this work is both to like, is, is I mean, of course, it's so much about my own healing, healing my um healing around my gender <laughs> healing around my former workplaces healing around my jewishness um that's really what brings me into like grief and loss work wow cool i so resonate with that thing of like of you know me being like i think i know what my purpose is and everyone around me being like you've been talking about this like forever you know and being like what i have what <laughs> Um, that's so funny. I mean, I love that that's like, you know, that's obviously not the only thing friends are for, but like sometimes friends are for reflecting you back to yourself and, you know, and reminding you that you are who you've always been. Oh, completely. I feel like, especially on my gender journey, it's like, Mm. so yeah, me too. Right. It's been so helpful to like, for all of the friends who've like, I've always seen you as they, them. You just like never asked me to use that pronoun, but like, yeah. Or like I've, you've, you like, you know, or I have always like, you, you know, you've always been working on a different level or whatever than like most of our friends, whatever it is. It's just like, Oh, right. Thanks. Okay. Like this is, this really, this is who I am. (laughs) And, um, you know, also, yeah, friends can also reflect how like gorgeous it is that we're changing all the time too. Right. 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 It's like the river that's like always the river, but the water is changing all the time. Mm, I love that. Um, I'm curious about, um, consent for you, like how that came into your life and what you remember about how you learned about it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I can think of like a couple pinpoints. Um, my, I mean, the first way was like my mom was leading these workshops around, um, like what was, you know, called then like domestic violence. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, So there was like, and I would get really curious about what she was teaching and what that looked like. And, um, I mean, that's a, that's like, you know, uh, probably a really common though also kind of maybe like narrow way in which people are learning about consent. Um, but yeah, I just, I remember, and, but I think always like my experience, like my, my, 
because of my identity experience, like I just, it was mostly through the lens of like the girls <laughs> and like, right. you know, um, around me who, um, were the ones who would actually like talk about this. And then my senior year in high school, I was part of this thing called high tops, which is this, like really beautiful program in New Jersey where a bunch of seniors from high school are on this teen council and do workshops on, um, teen health and sexuality around the state of New Jersey for other teens. Um, so it's like a really cool kind of like teen health and sexuality peer support group and learning. And mm. it was so, so amazing. I mean, I just like, it gave me so much of the language that I'd never had before. Um, and, you know, and we would do all of these different workshops on, that were really centered around like healthy relationships and being able to like say no or say what you do want or, you know, mm. not feel like you have to succumb to the pressure of your peers just to like fit in and have to perform, you know, in terms of your performance or sex or whatever. Um, and I think that just like, it, it just unlocked a lot of things that always made sense to me um, of like, Oh, right. Like this is of course how like healthy relationships exist is like actually just telling each other, like, what do we want? What do we not want? What do we need? What do we don't need? Like, mm. what can I give you? What do you, um, but you know, I feel like I kind of honestly coasted on it until my former partner did um, your, I maybe oh, first yeah. boundaries workshop. Um at the start of the pandemic. And so we started looking at the wheel of consent together. Um, and I just really loved living kind of vicariously through her experience. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was so powerful. Um, and, um, you know, I think still, I feel like I, you know, shout out to, to you and <laughs> the way you sort of presence this work. I feel like I learned so much from, from your posts and the way you speak of this too. Mm. Thank you. That's, I, I love that that's how, well, cause like the way that I found out who you were was because I met, um, your friend cookie, cookie. and then, yeah. And then she was like, my friend Ari knows, knows you. And I was like, what? And then she was explaining like what you do. And I was like, why don't I know them? <laughs> and then you and I ended up meeting up and, you know, it's like kind of, very fast friends it felt like just it was kind of like oh yeah of course we should know each other yeah totally well I think there's so much it's like I feel like we're it's almost like our end goal is like the same and 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 you yeah. we get to both just feel like we both have like our have found the kind of language around mm. how to like bring certain people in certain ways towards this end goal that is so uniquely respectively ours, which I think is so yeah. cool. Yeah. Right. It's right. We like share an end goal and we have like different ways in kind of like different modes. Um, you know, grief is something that I think is uh, not so familiar to me. I have not had much like obvious loss in the form of death in my life. And I think grief is something that I have experienced, but wasn't identifying that way. Um, and uh, I guess also was associating with like, well, like unless I'm sad, it's not grief, it's like something else. 
Um, and I think it was like, it was through my friend Brooke who I've done private sessions with and done classes with them. And like, they, they describe grief as kind of like an indicator that you're in a period of transition that really opened up a lot for me where I was like, Oh yeah. Like there's grief about, you know, like a past version of myself. And so even though I'm excited about what's going on now, it's like, yeah, there is this other feeling that could use some tending to. And then more and more recently, my amazing therapist has been like, well, hold on. Like before we move on, like let's address this grief. Like this sounds like grief. And I'm like, what? Like this too, you know? And she's like, yeah, like that's, there's some grief there. And I'm like, where? And, you know, and it takes me a while before I'm like, oh, that's, that's what that is. Um, So it's something that I feel like, you know, I mean, obviously I ask for help in like the grief support in these programs because I don't feel like it's something that I feel super well equipped to handle even in myself, let alone like to support other people through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, for totally understandable reason, because we're really not taught this. I mean, in the same way that I feel like you, the work you do is like stuff that is so basic (laughs) to having like healthy relationships and being in healthy connection with ourselves and other people in this world. Um, Same goes for, for like, how do we deal with loss? (laughs) How do we cope with when, like, you know, when loss occurs and and we don't teach this. Um, So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think um, such a big shift is like a lot of times when I talk about, you know, I'm out there, I'm like, I have this grief at work program and people hear grief. And of course they think of death immediately. And like, yes, um, death is a major loss that, um, contributes to some of our sort of most like widely shared, read about, you know, uh, filmed about kinds of experiences with loss. Um, but grieving, um, the process of grieving is really just like the wide range of, of emotional, mental and physical experiences that result from coping with loss. Um, mm. And really any like loss that I, I describe it as loss that's in there. Some people call it embodied loss, um, mm. but I think sometimes we can't always necessarily feel it. Um, so embodiedly, if we're not really checking in with our own bodies, but um, yeah, you know, like any loss that 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 creates really a you know a disconnect or a, um, a rupture, a rupture exactly yeah. with. Um, with something that we felt attached to or something we felt connected to um, is right. going to require some kind of reparative process for reconnection, for sort of rethreading whatever we were ruptured to. And it might not be, you know, we're not necessarily reconnecting with the same thing that we were, but we need some kind of repair process. That's what grief is and grieving is all about. Um, and yeah. so, you know, I think like a lot of times it really surprises people when I'm like, yeah, no, like you, we can be, you know, grieving over any thing that we felt connected to that no longer is, or no longer, like no longer is, or never really got to be, 
or mm-hmm. we were never mm-hmm. even allowed to have in the first place, but should have been allowed to have, um, or felt like we wanted. So it might not even be something that we, it could be something that was in our lives that then is no longer in our lives, but it could yeah. also be something that we have been denied having in this lifetime that we know we should have had, or know that we did want, or that we do want. Yeah. Um, which is why, you know, I think the more that we are talking about ancestral trauma um, in, you know, more sort of like uh, contemporary and mainstream spaces, like the more that we're uncovering how we're, we're all holding so much grief um, mm. because of all of the things that like, again, not only maybe we was, you know, we no longer have, but all the things that we, we were denied having in the first place or never got to have at all, or, you know, mm. I mean, that, that just bring, makes my mind go to trans people, you know, like the childhood you didn't get to have, or even the adulthood that you feel like you should get to have and people keep denying it to you or like love that you should totally have. And that seems to be, you know, just beyond reach and the ways that that is not something that's, um, like there's not much support and there's not much care or even like identifying that as grief, you know? And then I think it hardens into anger and resentment a lot of the time. I mean, certainly like, yeah, when I feel like I'm being deprived of something or like I watch people around me that seem to get to have whatever it is. And like, I don't, you know, I'm like, I just get angry. I mean, I just, I just feel robbed. Yeah, And it doesn't, when I don't think of it as grief, I don't think of it as something to like move through. Right. And I think this is a really big aspect of the way I teach through my grief at work program, especially is like holding this both, having some cognitive dissonance around on the one hand, every single person faces death and loss in their lives. Um, There can, there, there is a randomness to loss that anyone can experience at any time and holding at the exact same time that the system we live in perpetuates more loss and more death for certain people over others or denies certain resources to certain people over others. So therefore we just really like, even in, in sort of in like workplaces and in systems, like we need to think about that there's going to be different sets of experiences and therefore different sets of needs for those of us who are facing injustice or, and, or born into lineages that have experienced oppression and, or living in bodies that experience disability. Um, And so this is a big, like, whoa, for workplaces when they're like, well, we have like a pretty decent bereavement policy like we give people like five days over like any time over you know the few weeks after their loved one passes away and it's like well any one size fits all model (laughs) for grief care is inherently unjust yeah that's I mean I think any one size fits all model for anything and like I you know that that just makes me think of like the ways that like I was just talking to Kitty Stryker on this show and and I was thinking also about intimacy coordination where like because we live in like a suing culture that people are like, well, just tell us how to like not hurt people or like tell us the solution so that we don't get sued, you know? And like if you try to make that um, 
different for different people based on needs and access and things like that, then people start to feel that it's like unfair, you know, and then they sue or whatever it is. And it's like, you can't, you know, just everyone is different. Like everyone is different. Everyone's process is different. Yeah, completely. And, you know, I mean, another aspect of the everyone's process is different piece that I think really nicely relates to um, the work that you and I are embarking on together around um, boundaries and consent and masculinity is um, that, you know, like, again, every single person faces death and loss, but when people are avoiding grieving or don't feel any connection to loss or are just perpetuating loss without any recognition of it, that aversion itself is often a trauma response. Right. Um, AKA that like, so often I think we, there's like so many statistics that have come out since the pandemic about how like 60% of workers or 60% of people like are experiencing like mental health crises, like since the pandemic and like, we need to help them. And like, I'm always like, yeah, yes, we need to help them. And also like the real red flag population is the 40% of people who are saying that they haven't been mentally affected by the pandemic. Right, <laughs> right. I'm like, like what? Let's, I'm like, that's who needs the most support potentially like we should not be pathologizing people who are like expressing sadness and pain and emotion as the ones who are like weak and suffering and needing support actually like Mm -hmm. can we shift towards recognizing avoidance and aversion as like a maladaptive response that is actually signaling a need for help Right. Like the idea that you could have been untouched and unfazed and entirely not impacted by this massive global trauma. Or like anything like, you know, again, the idea that like, as if people who are like, oh, like, I don't really, you know, I don't really need a grieving process um, are therefore like the ones who are okay is like just, it's, it's like literally the opposite. And so just like, (laughs) I feel like, you know, as much as possible, I just like, I'm, I'm trying to like reflect and shout out and make those of us who are processing our loss and feeling our shit to just feel like, yeah, that's like, that's the right call. Like you are, right. that is not because your life is such a mess and you don't know what you're doing. It's actually because you're, you're showing up for this process that like, is responding to what's happening in your life or in the world in like a healthy way. Um, And to avoid that altogether is like not something to look up to. In fact, actually it's like how that's a signal for help. How do we show up? Um, Yeah. 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 Well, I know that um, we got to stop. So what I'm thinking is that I'll share a little bit of like why I asked you to come into this program and give my kind of explanation of like grief as it relates to consent. Um, when we like, I'll just put it at the end. So, um, thank you, Ari. This was really a wonderful conversation. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I would maybe just before we wrap, um, um, I would just love to hear or talk a little bit about, um, I think like the unique ways that we're um, seeing kind of masculinity um, come up around this topic. Cause I think it's just so sure. rich and it's juicy. And like, I feel like it's, uh, 
it's a little bit taboo still. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, to visualize it, I think um, with like from both of our perspectives would be really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll follow your lead. Oh gosh, me up first. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I guess it just made so much sense to me when when you reached out, and I was so glad to know that you are creating offerings that are specifically looking at masculinity because of almost exactly what I just said, which like so often, and this is just my hot take, um, it might be different than yours or someone else's, but like, I feel like so, so much of our kind of like in this society, in this space, collective understanding of masculinity is a really weaponized masculinity that is so often used to exclude or avoid, or just like try to wield power and control, um, which is so unfair (laughs) to like, what, just like a, I don't know, a more like, animated, engaging, connecting kind of quote, unquote, masculinity could be and look like and live and live through our bodies. Um, But that yeah, that like, I think, there I think you and I both have seen in our workshops and programs that like for you know people who really identify with a lot of masculinity or you know people who um have just been like you know living with masculinity um that there can just be a lot of aversion um and Mm -hmm. a lot of aversion to getting into like things that bring up loss which consent yeah. and boundaries, as you've said, like absolutely does um, to, you know, again, yeah. look at where we have caused harm, where we have not asked for what we needed, where we did not receive what we wanted, where, you know, like, right. and um, yeah, just to go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think also within the conversation of consent, the mainstream conversation of consent it's so much, you know, and this was, you shared, like, this is how you learned about consent. It's like, um, the villain is men. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the way the conversation goes. That's the way the numbers, sh- that's what the numbers show, you know? And I don't believe in those statistics. I don't know very many men in my life or who I've worked with who have not themselves experienced sexual assault. You know, like, there's, these numbers are just not getting the whole picture and i think as a result of putting out these these numbers as though they're facts you know what's happening is that so many men who are experiencing sexual assault um then perpetuate sexual sexual assault there are also so many women who perpetuate sexual assault and don't it doesn't get it um like labeled as such because the conversation says that women can't and that men are the problem. And then so many men who are experiencing sexual assault are also not labeling their experience as sexual assault because the narrative is that they don't experience that. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they're like, you know, I've had people tell me about a story, you know, tell me a story of like what happened to them. And I'm like, that's assault. And they're like, what? No, no, no. Like, no. And I'm like, this is what, you know, you said, no, it happened anyway. And they're like, whoa. And I've had, and then I've had friends be like, oh my God, like, that's why I've been so disinterested in dating ever since that happened. Like, that's why I've been like skittish around these kinds of people or like people who know that person, you know, like, and they're just not labeling it as that. 
And so they then don't grieve and heal and process um, because they're just excluded from the picture. So, so as a result, what happens is that men are not getting education around this stuff because to ask for it, to opt in would be seen as an admission of guilt within this framework that we've built where men need consent, need to be better at consent and women need to be better at holding their boundaries. This is obviously like extremely binary, Mm. you know, which is another reason why I reject these statistics because I have never seen trans inclusive statistics. And more often than not, whenever trans people are included in these statistics, trans women are counted as men and trans men are counted as women, which is like its own whole can of worms and problems. So yeah, I mean, I think there's so many barriers to getting into this work. One of the bar, you know, I've named a bunch of them, but I think one of them is also the way that like shame comes into play here. And I think that that kind of like links the grief, you know, with, with what I'm talking about. It's like, if you sign up for a class, you should feel ashamed of yourself. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and it's so, I mean, I think it's a question that even I, you know, I still have as I'm building out my practice <laughs> over these few years is like, it always comes back to like, how do we make this work really invitational? Um, mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Um, engaging in this work will bring up loss and will bring up some discomfort and it's incredibly healing and it's incredibly supportive and it can be really helpful because yeah like it just it's like like easier sense of self easier time of navigating relationships and challenges it's like this is good stuff and like actually right. moving through it's loss food. it's like totally n- n- nutrition i know it's so good it's so good and like oh the people i've seen like move through loss um yeah. and like feel some sense of confidence in in how to move through loss when it arises right it's especially for men who would have never thought that they could even acknowledge loss in the first place like it's so delicious right. um so yeah i just i'm like yeah, I think I, I so I love the way you talk about this approach mm. of like, uh, and and really being clear of how much yeah how much like shame can get cast and and it's I think that's um, such a great reason to create something specifically around like masculinity and masculinities and yeah. um, so right on I'm so glad we're doing this. And to your point about it being more inviting, like shame is not going to get people to sign up and do this work. It's not going to get people to show up. And I want to be really clear about this, that very often, I would say most often, the people perpetuating that, using shame to try to trap people into signing up and doing this work, it is cis women. Mm. And more often than not, the people putting out the statistics and then resharing the statistics about men being horrible and women being victims, like those are coming from cis women. So like I I beg cis women, uh and and you know, I sometimes I have to include myself in that because of how I'm perceived and received in the world. Like like even people like me, like we cannot participate this is participating in that narrative and like doubling down on it is ultimately 
alienating people and making them less likely to opt in. The the shame route, it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. Um, you know, men are not the problem. Like we are all internalizing this stuff and we are all perpetuating it. And especially I think so often women who believe that they couldn't possibly be the problem, that they couldn't possibly violate consent or push boundaries. Um, like that is a problem. That is a problem. Yeah. And I think I'll, I'll just offer a sort of like a yin yang and balance. Uh, I beg of, uh, <laughs> I beg of the men <laughs> and, yes. and I include myself as someone who is also, you know, perceived and received in that way um, to not avoid and not hide yeah. the feelings of sadness and pain and discomfort um, that you are feeling um, because it just, it doubles down on exactly the thing. And like you, we, as like we as men, we as masculine holding people, we as all people are so deserving of support around grief mm-hmm. and loss and support around how to have healthy relationships and ask and receive what we need. Yeah. All right. On that note, where can people find you? People can find me uh, at ari.fyi. Um, that's on Instagram. That's my website, um, ari.fyi. Um, you know what? I, weird plug, but like I'm for the first time in my whole adult life, I am in my LinkedIn era. I am I'm, I'm like, I don't know. It's so it's messed up. It's really messed up. But I'm, I'm finally kind of loving LinkedIn. So you can totally if you also are like a weirdo like me and it's working for you, find me there. Um, and you're good. Things. It's like, I don't know. It just takes a lot of the like, Instagramery, influencery bullshit out of it. And it totally, yeah. it has its own like wild toxicity, but I don't know. <laughs> there's something kind of like, because it's so like workplace and professional, like I feel like it feels kind yeah. of subversive the way I'm using it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I want to see other people post thirst traps on their LinkedIn. Like let's play. Let, anyways. Um, yeah. That's I think where, where you can find me. Um, I'm also really excited to be doing in-person workshops again starting this summer. So you can find me in um, New York and LA and Idlewild, California, and hopefully Toronto, fingers crossed. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And our program, the nine week on boundaries and consent and masculinity starts July 25th. It's nine Tuesdays in a row. Can't wait to see you, Mia, there and you listener um, there as well. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Thanks, Ari. Thanks, Nia. I will talk to you soon. Sounds great. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. I said I'd share why I added a class on grief to a lot of my programs and why I brought in Ari to teach that. From doing this work for a number of years now, um, I went through a period of grief and then I've also now seen it come up in so many other people, um, both like people who've identified it as grief and people who share the experience of grief with me but maybe don't label it as that feeling. That grief comes in a few different forms. One is grief for how different things could have been. So grief for past versions of you, 
grief for kind of your current self and maybe how different your life might have been or how different you would be if certain if you had had this information sooner another kind of grief is about the relationships that start to fall away or change um for me you know one of the things i think that was really hard was kind of grieving the future that i had you're hearing what's outside my window um the future that i had envisioned with um you know my parents and like the kinds of relationships that we the kind of relationship that I envisioned us having that also happened with gender I'd say it probably was more significant with them with gender um but when it comes to consent you know there were relationships that fell out of my life as I started to appease less and say no and no longer fit the role that someone had me cast in in their life often there's anticipatory grief consciously or unconsciously for the ways that those relationships will change or end entirely and I think that anticipatory grief often gets in the way of a lot of people starting this kind of work then there's grief for the ways that you treated others you know there's sometimes regret that comes up there and then kind of grief maybe even for relationships lost that you now understand why and where you might have misstepped um, or where they might have misstepped and that grief gets stirred up I think often you've grieved those relationships already but there's kind of new grief as the dust kind of gets kicked up and then the last kind of grief that sort of pervades all all three of these is the grief for the ways that you betrayed yourself and crossed your own boundaries perhaps pushed yourself to do things um you know and and have no one other than you to quote unquote blame um And that's where I think a lot of that work starts in like not looking to point a finger, but just sort of looking toward the future about how you can do things differently now. The music on this show is by Amelie Rousseau, who plays under the name Sophia Bolt. She's also an amazing music producer. And she was my guitar teacher. I owe her so much. Thank you, Amelie.